Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master John. And tonight we have a returning guest. We have Joshua Lormer from the Sneak Attack podcast coming back on. And we're going to talk about treasure maps, the lore behind treasure maps, the journey that you can take your players on with a treasure map. It's going to be a fantastic episode. But John, before we do that, we have some five-star reviews. Our first five-star review comes from Long Druid, and it's entitled, Well Done, Evolving Show. This podcast started off quite good and has evolved to become something even better. The latest content has been excellent, and I can tell that DM Mitch and company all work to continuously improve their craft. DMnastics has been taken to the next level with guests and co-stars consistently bringing added creativity to the mix. DM Neil is great at riffing with others to lift those mental weights. This is a must listen for new and old DMs alike. Start with episode 44 and jump around from there. Keep on Dungeon Masters blocking, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much, Long Druid, for that review. Our next one comes from Alibaba7 as an entitled Great Intro. I just started DMing and this has been super helpful. They're also hilarious, so my commute is a breeze now. Perfect. Thank you so much, Alibaba7. We are glad that you enjoyed the show. Bonus, we got an extra review, an extra five-star review today. So this one is by Tacoman Gaming, and it's titled, Great Advice. Starts off, I love this show. It's a great advice show. And the best feature, if you ask me, is the DMnastics. These get my own creative juices flowing. It's great to get into the gym and live with the guys. Look at me. Lift these weights. <laughs> Thank you so much, Taco Man. Oh, Taco Man. Is it Taco Man? Taco Man? <laughs> I don't know, but I like Taco Man. I like that a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much, Taco Man Gaming. Uh, that was an awesome review. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and uh, I hope you like everything else we keep on putting out. And with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The plate meat's back on the menu, boys. So for the meat today, as I previously mentioned in the intro, we have a returning guest, Joshua Lormer. He plays Grayick on Sneak Attack, the actual play podcast. It is so good to have this man back with us today. Josh, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block. It's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be back, for real. Both, <laughs> both Grayek and I are very happy to, to rejoin you guys. Oh, we have Grayek and Josh here <laughs> with us today. Perfect. I've drawn, I've drawn really clear lines between he and I because uh, it's, you got to be careful. Can't let Grayek take over. <laughs> Important stuff. You guys could do a whole other episode on... You know, how to separate yourself from your character. <laughs> You're reminding me of this brilliant documentary on Netflix, Jim and Andy. Yes. Yes, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I love that documentary. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, listeners, go and check it out. But it's this. It's basically Josh's life. So just <laughs> Josh and Greg. New documentary coming out on the sneak attack. Yeah. A special episode. It's going to happen. I've definitely got like the Jim Carrey retired beard going on. <laughs> you do. You do. So it's been a while, huh, Josh? 
Uh, what have you been up to lately? Lately, uh, still doing sneak attack, still going strong with the sneak attack family. I think we hit three million downloads a month ago or so, and That's we're, awesome. we're in 130 something episodes. The finish line is in sight. So we actually we don't intend to be one of those podcasts that does the same character, same storyline for forever. We do have a this story will complete itself sometime in, mm. in the next probably the next six months. So um, that's that's kind of exciting. And we've got some new stuff planned for uh, for after that. But uh, yeah, personally, I've been getting into Twitch streaming. It's a very game centric platform, but I've been doing a lot of miniature painting. If anybody enjoys miniature painting, they can come hang out with me on Twitch. You have an impressive setup. That's for sure. It's fun, man. It's really fun. I don't think I'm like a great painter, but I, I, I very comfortable in the hobby at this point, if that makes sense. Sneak attack is coming to an end. Yeah. Very early on, Dungeon Master's Block had an episode called Never-Ending Stories where we talked about how stories need to come to a close or they're going to fizzle out or they're going to end because people drop out or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So that is that is a good thing. But I can at the same time hear the fans right now. <laughs> some of them are yelling <laughs> and some of them are upset at that. So, but that just means that they love it. <laughs> and it's not new news. I'm not, I'm not releasing it for the first time here on uh, Dungeon Master Block. Hopefully, hopefully fans that have been, that have been with us for a while know that that's kind of the direction we're going. Reed's our Dungeon Master, for those of you who don't know, and he's a master story crafter. He and I have been working together doing, doing stories both in video format and then in podcast for years. And, uh, and we both really believe that good stories end, you know what I mean? And they, and they, they, mm. yeah, the, some of the worst things that I feel like ever happened to like those really good TV shows is when they just push out those extra two last seasons that weren't necessary. And it just feels, yes. it feels wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just feels like, it feels like it, it's, 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 like Scrubs, it's hollow and many other yes, shows. It's hollow content where it's it it has the same surface and it has the same premise, but the the heart of what kind of made it work is gone. And uh, and we want to make sure that the content that we're producing continually continues to have heart and isn't just a hollow shell moving forward. That's awesome. Well, as we do with all of our guests, and I know uh, Josh, you were telling us before we started recording that you love these. So we have a surprise question for you. This one comes from DM Pax, one of our Patreon dragons. DM Pax asks, and this is perfect because Josh, while you play Graic yeah. on Sneak Attack, you are also a dungeon master yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is kind of an awesome insight into your dungeon mastering right here. Do you have a particular NPC voice that is your favorite. <laughs> and then he, he specifies, please demonstrate. This is a good one. I like it. I want to make it clear that my favorite NPC voice is not my best one. All right? That's okay. And it's been a while since I used it, but I had a, I had a guy, I called him One-Eyed Jack, and uh, he was Australian. So let me see if I can. <laughs> and, and the only way that I could pull off the Australian accent was by phrasing things as a question. <laughs> Right, mate. We going off to the adventure. We gonna try and find <laughs> us a treasure chest. Uh, and just it gets terrible. I'm so bad at it, but it's the oh, most, it's terrible already. It's but the it's most great fun. at the same time. <laughs> like I can do the I can do the Scottish the Scottish brogue with yeah. Greyak. Oh, know, we my, all know my dwarven voice. That's that's my like. I could do that while I'm sleeping. But but I like trying the the ones that I'm terrible at. And 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 when you're when you're DMing. 
and you do an accent that's terrible, it's just fun. It just brings some levity to the character and to the interaction with them. So I think I think too too many. I hope I hope there aren't too many DMs that take their voices too seriously. You know what I mean? Like that, you should have fun with it. You should have absolute fun with it. Josh, why don't you, in One-Eyed Jack's voice, uh, <laughs> tell the listeners, let's segue into the meat. What are we talking about today? All right. Uh, <laughs> Mitch, <laughs> today on the Dungeon Master's Block, we're going to be talking about uh, treasure maps and uh, treasure <laughs> in general. I hope <laughs> this is kind of a terrible accent. Right? I feel like we're on Flight of the Concords right now. <laughs> uh, the name's Mary, oh, and I, uh, I'm i the manager for the band. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it. 100%. That's so uh, perfect. leggy blonde. <laughs> oh, Every day I see you on the office floor. There you are. <laughs> I love that show. Yes. I love it. You're hitting me that right shows, now. And that show might be coming back. But anyway, this isn't a news podcast. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> right you are. Uh, right you are. <laughs> this isn't a Flight of the Concords fan <laughs> podcast, although maybe it should be. Yeah. But today we are talking like Josh. Sorry, like One-Eyed Jack said about treasure maps. So the first thing that we want to talk about is... Treasure maps in a D&D game is not a new thing. Many DMs even start their DMing by going, oh, I'll give them a, a treasure map, a map to a treasure. That's a great way to set up a campaign, a journey, a story. So the first thing we want to talk about is the origin of the treasure map. And what we mean by that is how does the treasure map in your story come to be? Who made it? Why? How did the adventurers come by it? What are some of our thoughts on where does this treasure map start? I really like, uh, I, I think, I think even you can even be creative with, with the definition of what is a treasure map. I think, uh, even just looking at the idea of a treasure map as a literary term, it doesn't have to be a piece of paper with a marked destination on it. It could be an ancient scroll or an ancient tablet from from days long past that you that some scholar has only just now learned to transcribe and te- foretells of a of a treasure that's that if you follow this process and do these things, you'll obtain this this ancient item. I'm a big fan of of trying to come at classic story arcs from angles that aren't obvious, if that makes sense. Like I, I love the idea of my players being on a treasure a treasure map hunt without realizing that they're on a treasure map hunt. I like treasure maps, but I like the idea of more of a riddle. Like if you guys have seen uh, National Treasure, where instead of one map telling you all the things, like here you got to go past this monster through the ravine over the hill to grandmother's for- house, we go. Uh, <laughs> you instead Did you almost say grandmother's forest <laughs> <laughs> over to grandmother's forest. My grandmother had a forest. I don't know. So instead of that, you have a long riddle. Like you need to look through the eyes of the giant statue to the east and then walk 40 paces to the tree leaning over that is has exactly two coconuts and then from there there's an eagle's nest and you have to walk there and there'll be another clue and then take that clue and it has 16 more ridiculous clues and then at the end it's a riddle and then after that maybe there's not even any treasure it's amazing (laughs) 
I, I think of, too, if we're talking about uh, non-traditional treasure maps, I think of the compass from the Pirates of the Caribbean movie yes. where it's like it always points in a direction of, I mean, that treasure map changes depending on the person holding it. Yeah. But, yeah, there's certainly different ways to go beyond just the standard map that everybody thinks about with the treasure map. That being said, there's nothing wrong with the standard map as well. Everybody loves a good oh, yeah beautifully drawn treasure map being on the high seas with some scallywags hunting down one-eyed jack's treasure i'm just saying (laughs) the booty i think that may have been the first thing that i actually dm'd like this was my my easy thing that was like the mysterious stranger came out of nowhere to give the adventurers a little like jab and came in with a cloak and had a treasure map for sale. Where did you get it, old man? Like, I can't tell you that. Like very unplanned and unstructured beginning for my DMing. I was kind of just thrown into it, but like it it was a very classic, like I've got a treasure map for sale. Here you go. And I, I remember giving it to my players and it was it was definitely uncompleted. It was uncompleted and it was drawn at a time that the dungeon, because it was a map to a dungeon and then the dungeon map was part of it, had changed in the years to come. So things weren't always going to be as planned. I think there are a lot of players that they don't need to be told why they're adventuring. They just want to adventure. You know what I mean? So like a lot of yeah. a lot of young D&D groups, I, I would really encourage some DMs of like young groups. Uh, I, I'm even thinking like younger, younger players that they're maybe not so interested in the nuances of like a, a, a really epic story and the, <laughs> who is your character, yeah, the, the economy of the world and the, 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 how does the calendar work? You know, the moon cycle, blah, blah. Like they're just like, they don't need any, they don't need you to tell them why they hunt down the treasure. You know what I mean? They just want to go for the treasure, you know, follow the map and, play in a in a fun world and fight monsters because it's fun to fight monsters and as a dm you always want to get them there Mm -hmm. to that deeper level but a brilliantly drawn treasure map may be the thing that starts them along that path along that journey to love role playing and love getting deeper into it yes with treasure maps one of the questions that i think i always kind of want to know if i'm a player that's come across this treasure map is why was this treasure map drawn why is this treasure buried or hidden or whatever? What's the story behind this treasure? Who was it that hid this treasure or drew this map? What are some ideas that we have for for that kind of plot hooks for a treasure map? I like the idea of just like from the mummy, like an ancient tomb full of all this ancient person's wealth and belongings and maybe even something crazy magical like some gold and riches for anybody who's full of greed and maybe some important wand that can heal the sick or something that even people that aren't greedy would want so they go looking for the treasure. I'm a borderline cruel DM. I really like every <laughs> every victory coming with a tinge of failure. Mm. Whatever whatever my group achieves, there is a, a kind of juxtaposition that it's not always a, a clear 100% victory that in order to achieve total victory, you have to sacrifice something. And I think it's fun sometimes when the treasure is something that has been hidden away for a reason. Mm-hmm. It, it might not be a pot of gold. It might be something a little more foreboding or ominous. Or in order to gain the treasure, finally, you have to give something. That's very much the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean yes. stuff. where comes with a price. They gain the riches, but they lost their you know, humanity. Yeah, I I love that idea of the treasure coming at some sort of a price or it just turns out to not be 
not be what you expected or not bring you the joy that you thought it expected. The mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean movies being ob- an obvious good example of that to the point where the treasure, if that was a D&D campaign and you were playing those pirates, that would be the short part. That would maybe be the one night session part of the campaign. And then the rest of the campaign would have been collecting the treasure back up, getting all those gold pieces back because they needed to reverse that curse. You could do something very, very similar in your world and start it even in the sense of pretending that the treasure map quest was going to be a one shot. And then you reveal this terrible aspect of what you've unlocked slash what you've let loose upon the world. And now you have to go on this other campaign, whether you do the same characters or maybe you bring in some different heroes that have to put that treasure back where it came from, put that treasure back where it came from or so help me. So help me. (laughs) I think too, you really can't go wrong with the classics an old villains treasure trove that's been hidden away somewhere is just a great, a lot of those classic tropes are classic for a reason. And sometimes it's fun to feel like you're on one of those old school adventures. Yeah. What I love about those kind of old feeling when you're going, Oh yeah, this, you know, evil one eyed Jack, (laughs) he hit his treasure because he knew he was going to get arrested. And so we want to find it. And, the, when, when you when you give a premise like that, immediately because it's so classic, most of your players are going to start creating some expectations in their in their mind, and the the feel of the adventure is going to be something familiar, and you can really use that to your advantage. I also think of like who this treasure belonged to, like who hid it away, who buried it. If they're still alive, you have then made yourself an enemy who is going to hunt you down to find you and get that treasure back. And if they're dead, then perhaps you've made yourself an undead enemy that's going to haunt you down and make sure that you pay for taking his treasure yep. or her treasure. And you know who make great treasure guardians in D&D? Beholders. Beholders with treasure sounds like a great D&D campaign and scary to boot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great final boss right there. So we were uh, we originally were talking about like different kinds of treasure maps than the traditional ones. What do you guys think about the idea of false treasure maps? Whether it's like just a map that's been put out there and there's no treasure at the end of the journey or maybe there are numerous versions of said treasure map because the person who created that or hid that treasure wanted to make sure that it was really difficult to find. There's a bit of a balancing act with that because in the same vein of wanting to subvert expectations, which DMs love to do, you also want to make sure that you don't lead up to a poor payoff. In storytelling, you always you always talk about how however long you drag something out, you got to make sure that as long as it's dragged out that the payoff is worth what you're dragging it out to. If you create this incredible, awesome, epic adventure, but then all of a sudden it's just an empty chest at the end. <laughs> unless unless your your players learned like a really important life lesson within the the hunt for it and you know the 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 payoff is it, the journey was more important than the destination. You know, that I could see that working out. It, you'd have to be really good at DMing. I don't know if I could pull that off. But uh, I like, um, in the game Skyrim, 
one of the early quests that you go on is for this the horn of Jurgen Windcaller. And it's kind of a bit of a treasure hunt. You've you've have to follow this thing here to get the directions to this cave there, and you have to fight through this intense dungeon. So you get to the this the most epic one of the most epic ends of a dungeon where you walk into this big old hall and these huge statues rise up out of the water on either side of this bridge. And when you finally get to the final area, the the main bosses that were there are all killed, and there's a note. And that that to me was a cool unique kind of payoff where they took away the treasure but they left us a clue to something greater yeah i think you have to ask yourself if i was in the player's seat how would i react to this situation and yeah just pulling the rug out from underneath them being like yeah you guys went through all this for nothing <laughs> it's a little it was a dream the whole time yeah it just seems like a cruel trick to pull on players who invest so much in the story. If the treasure's not there, then you need to work on having there be a payoff that's even greater in a sense, that they're going to walk away and still be able to go, I had a lot of fun with that. And as we always say on the show, you got to know your players too. Yep. Like you said, Josh, some players might be able to go like as easy as pie and go, hey, it's just a pretend game. There's no real gold anyway. <laughs> you know what? We learned a lot of great lessons along the way, <laughs> but there aren't that many players out there, let's be honest. <laughs> Similar to that uh, pulling the rug out from under them at the end with no treasure, you could go uh, like Raiders of the Lost Ark on them and have it stolen away at the very end and then kind of lessen it by turning like making the treasure oh yeah it turned everyone that looked at it into zombies or instantly turned them into dust or something good thing you didn't look at that yeah <laughs> yeah I, and that actually gives me an idea of perhaps the final challenge isn't uh fighting the boss to get to the treasure but another another group of adventures beating you to it and then like a chase scene where you gotta like Yes. You're like, it, all of a sudden, what was going to be this like final thing becomes this more drawn out chase where you're hunting down the people who took your treasure. If the treasure, like we've kind of been saying, has some sort of cursed effect or some sort of like price to be paid, I feel like that opens the doors for your players to have some really awesome role playing opportunities at the end of the campaign yeah do we take this treasure do we destroy this treasure now or will we pay the price whatever that is like are we going to have some major shifts in a, in our alignment because we're tempted by greed like there are some major things that can happen once that treasure is put before them and they're like oh this is not what i expected both outcomes i feel like lead to some great conclusions to a, a campaign where you have they picked the choice that made them end up being evil, treasure-bearing, powerful creatures, whatever it is, monsters or something like that, or the fact that they decide at the end of the campaign to take the high road and destroy slash put the treasure back where it came from. You ever you ever heard of the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like this magical box that someone finds or is given, and the whole rule with the box is whenever you press the button on the top, you gain a, a wish, but you also take a life of someone random. Yes. And oh, yeah, I've heard of that. The that that is like an immediate moral quandary, you know, where you're going, oh, do I, you know, wish for something that's going to benefit the world, maybe, and that's what's okay. You know, you 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 consistently have to question, is what I'm going to wish for worth the life of a random person? Yes. 
and in presenting very complex ethical you know struggles is a fun thing to do to it if, if you can be a dm sitting at the table literally just watching your players deliberate about the morality or lack thereof of a decision that is the best that just sounds to me like a treasure map and a treasure that was planted by a god of chaos mm-hmm. for sure just to watch mortals squirm and make decisions that they love having them have to debate about yeah or or if you're feeling particularly witty the genie that grants a wish but the wish comes with a twist you know so you say you know i want to i i want to be immortal but then you you no longer can you know taste food or you know or like something mm. that's kind of a dinky back and forth but you, you kind of get my idea <laughs> where you wish for something but you're i'm i don't know that i would ever do that i'm not particularly witty enough to think on the fly uh how to twist someone's wish but if you're feeling like you're up to that kind of stuff those are always really creative that idea of like a god making the quest made me think of uh like two things first what if it it, there's no treasure at the end it was just a test like the whole treasure map you hmm. like in order for motivation the god's like oh it, you need to do all these things to find this thing and then there will be a great reward at the end and really it's just training because he needs warriors to go fight some insane battle or do some other crazy insane quests and he needed to test you for it because it needs to work or or and this is i think is a cooler thing because i've always wanted to have all the players at the end of a campaign have a battle royale and just try to kill each other. <laughs> what if this god is dying and this treasure uh, was really just whoever got to it first, like or whatever group got to it, one of them would get to succeed the god. And so you had to fight to the death to become this god. I like that. That would be awesome. I think the one thing I'd say right there is, once again, DMs know your players. <laughs> Because you don't want you don't want players to walk away from the table like not leaving that battle at the like yeah. at the table like being angry over it. And you you guys, need mature players for that. You guys just had an episode about dying gods with uh with Aram. Yep, we did. I like that guy. We've talked a lot about like a lot about treasure maps. One of the things that is imperative to every treasure map campaign is the journey, like how you get to that X marks the spot. So what are some like obstacles, some good ideas for obstacles that you can drop in along the way, whether on the treasure map, it shows them beautifully drawn or not. What are some obstacles that would be fantastic to add into a good treasure map campaign? Whenever there's treasure, I did this in one campaign where I just decided I would be really mean. And in, in front of every thing that was treasure, there was an identical treasure but it was a mimic oh god literally every single time john you just gave me like this image of like getting to the end of a campaign where x marks the spot and it's just an island of mimics looking like treasures (laughs) that'd be terrifying (laughs) that would be that would be amazing i need to run this campaign (laughs) that's awful (laughs) also especially if you put the treasure chest at the bottom of like some water or something. So they got to swim down to get to it. And it's just an underwater mimic. Mm. And then they're stuck underwater and can't breathe. And then you drop in <laughs> some water monsters. That's just a this TPK. Whole camp- That's just a total party kill. <laughs> who, who drew the treasure map? Well, a mimic did. <laughs> a mimic with a real sick sense of humor. Yeah. And then at the end, the treasure map was a mimic the whole time. 
<laughs> the treasure map itself was a mimic. <laughs> oh my gosh. The I. <laughs> <laughs> the treasure map was a... Oh, gosh. That's that's hilarious because there actually is in the Tome of Beasts by Kobold Press, there's a there's stats for a treasure map mimic. So there you go. Wow. It's set up for you. Wow, you did your research, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, man. Gosh. That island of mimics has me both terrified and giddy at this moment. Yeah. So I think it, with any hunt for treasure or whatnot, there, there lies a great opportunity for for travel sequences um you know mm. you're whether it's it's lord of the rings classic yes, yeah yeah you're on the road you're you're you have to take uh go by boat you have to go you know over a snowy mountain under a mountain like it, it gives you a lot of room i'm particularly a big fan of of wizard towers that's another classic D trope oh yeah so i like i love the idea of the last person to carry knowledge of the whereabouts of this ancient artifact is Wizard One-Eyed Jack, who's up in his wizard tower. <laughs> of course. I, that's the only guy I'm going to reference the rest of the, this entire... <laughs> every uh, character yeah, is yeah, One-Eyed Jack. Every character is One-Eyed Jack. And, and his, his eye patch turns out to be a mimic. Uh, <laughs> Does he know? He doesn't, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Uh, in, in order to get the actual location of the treasure, you have to... You have to ascend this wizard's tower, and on each level is a different magical challenge. Some are challenge your your wit, some challenge your party's un, un, unity, some challenge your strength. You know what I mean? You can kind of make it, or, or you can make it elemental. You know, there's a lot of creative. You can get into the nuts and bolts, but I like I love the idea of travel and yeah, and even working off that idea with challenges like. I had this idea of a treasure map kind of going off of, John, you, uh, I think you were talking about challenges along the way that reveal the next clue for a treasure. But a treasure map could also be magical in a D&D world that it only shows the next point. Hmm. And until you finish a challenge or a puzzle at the next point, the trail to the treasure does not continue to reveal itself. But I love that whole idea of like, just the treasure map is showing you where the next puzzle or challenge that you need to overcome is for the rest of the map to continue to be revealed. That's very much like uh, Ready Player One, if you guys have read that book. Fantastic book. The whole goal is that you're supposed to find these Easter eggs within the game that this guy who made it left it. That actually is a great... If you want to actually learn about some good treasure hunting stuff, read Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. You can get the audiobook. It's read by Will Wheaton. It's fantastic. But basically, he has to puzzle out the Easter egg. Then once he finds the Easter egg, he has to find this key. In order to get the key, he has to complete a challenge. And But there's three keys, and it's just like, it just keeps es- <laughs> it just keeps escalating, but you can't get to the next thing until you accomplish the, the first. And so it's kind of, it is very much, John, like that national treasure, yeah, where the next thing leads you to the next thing thing i think some some other classic obstacles especially if we're talking about piratey treasure campaigns would be like the sea monster that's that's drawn on an area in your map um or like a sea of sharks or something like that if we're going full pirate treasure hunt i also like the idea of certain obstacles having no idea that they're there whether or not, John, you joked about a, a coffee stain on the uh, on the treasure map at the beginning, but like you could have burned out spots on a treasure map or like ripped off spots. 
You could have markings that your players don't really know exactly what it is. Maybe they can kind of try to figure some things out. Or you could just have things marked by a strange word or a strange language or even just a name of a creature that everybody's like, I don't I don't know what that is. And so it's not even revealed what that obstacle is until you get up to it. I like what they did in um, now. Okay, cinematically, I'm not a huge fan of the Hobbit trilogy. Amen. But I like what they did with the uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was kind of like a treasure map. But you could only read it under a certain moon every mm. every so so many years. And uh, I like the idea of the first clue being how to actually even read the map itself. That in order to even begin your treasure hunt, you have to actually like first puzzle out the map itself. It's worthless without knowing how to read it. Mm-hmm. Without That treasure map would be lost, could be easily destroyed just because somebody thinks it's a worthless piece of parchment. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't that be great, though? A great way to introduce a treasure map is to, oh, what do you find in that drawer? Oh, you find a just a blank piece of parchment. You have to th- you have to play it off as a DM. But most most players will like I, I feel like I've played with enough groups that at least one of the players would be like, I'll take it. I'll use it for notes at some point. Yeah. So later on, you can like reveal it in a cool way. But yeah, it's it. It's the mundane becoming extraordinary. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I thought would be a perfect idea if you've if you've been looking for a place to to try this out. Um, I I know for myself I run all homebrew campaigns, but there are many many classic D and D dungeons out there that I've wanted to run, but I never get a chance to because I'm running my own homebrew games. I think a treasure map to a dungeon with a special treasure at the end is the perfect time to pull that tomb of horrors out or whatever classic dungeon that you want to run and use that as the dungeon that is at the end of the treasure map. And you can be able to put that in your homebrew world. You might need to do a couple changes, but I think it's the perfect opportunity to do something like this. Right on. So the last thing we want to talk about today is the prize, the treasure itself. So obviously, one of the things that can be at the end, under the X, whatever it is, is a chest full of gold, treasure in the sense of wealth, as in the sense of gold, coins, jewels, that kind of stuff. But what are some other things that could be at the end under that X. What are some things that that X can mark the spot of that could be amazing treasures for a campaign? I really like the idea of it being less a, an item and more like a location. Like Hmm. the, the map leads you to the lost city of Atlantis or, um, it leads you to this, uh, rift between worlds where, something can be had or you know what I mean the there's a lot of great stories out there about the treasure actually being a lost continent or a group of people a seemingly mundane archway standing in the middle of a field but you walk through that archway and you go to a whole nother world yeah yeah some sort of place that is right there is an amazing way to not have there be a chest full of treasure and have your players more in awe of something they've discovered Mm -hmm. and a new adventure to begin. That would be really fun to start a game off very classic D&D in a tavern with an old sailor who tells you about a chest 
a treasure or some map, you know what I mean, that leads you somewhere, and then you, they get to this place, and it's just, uh, just immediately turns wild, and it's no longer a classic D&D adventure, but you're maybe in space, or you're, you know what I mean? Like, Oh my in, gosh, yeah. That would be really rad. You could do some amazing things. You could have them walk through this portal and all of a sudden they're in a game of gamma world <laughs> and, and there there are pigmen riding around on motorcycles shooting them with shotguns like there, you could you could just enter into the ridiculous if you wanted to you really could yeah i like the idea of there being some kind of awesome power at the mm. end hmm. i don't know if you guys have seen uh magi it's like a, yeah. an anime it's on netflix yeah. now at the end there's some gin that once you beat his dungeon, you go in there and he becomes your djinn and he hmm. jumps into your weapon and now you have all the elemental powers that that djinn had as long as you're using that weapon. So all of a sudden, like, now you're basically like a firebender from Avatar or something. Like, you just, as long as you're holding this sword, you can shoot fire out of your hands or fly or do whatever because you finish this amazing quest and found the treasure and have this awesome superpower now. In Sneak Attack, one of the first really big dungeons that we that we went on, the, the, the thing we got at the end of the dungeon was, this might be something interesting to consider as well. This is, I think this is in the 30s, in the, the 30s of our show, so if you haven't got there or you're not sure, spoiler <laughs> alert, but when we get to the end, it's called the Chronicum. And when we get to the end, we actually are given a choice of what treasure we want to get. And one of them is this big old tome, this book, and the other is this uh, mysterious amulet that uh, carries with it some really unique powers. And, uh, and of course, we go with the amulet, because who wants a book in D&D? <laughs> and yeah, and that amulet has this whole slew of powers that come with it, but they're, they, they only operate under these very specific circumstances. And so that's a great, that's a great idea, is that at the end... It's not so much like riches or wealth, but it's an actual power that you're gaining. Immediately, I thought of the words written in dragon that you seek out in Skyrim yeah. that teach you different dragon shouts. You could do something along those lines, or it could be some sort of power in the sense of the fountain of youth, that it's it's a magical object that grants you some sort of long-lasting life or power in that sense. In the book series, A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin, she creates this world where everything has a true name. Including people, yeah. Yeah, if you can learn learn the true name of an item or a person, you gain mastery over it, basically. And I really like the idea of if you create a world with that kind of lore behind it, then maybe what's at the end of the treasure map is the true name of something. I know for, for Ged the his his in he's the main character of the, the, the initially in that book series his whole trial and tribulation is i think trying to learn the true name of this enemy that's after him or something like that but yeah i know uh the inheritance series by christopher paolini like aragon yes. and those books had the same kind of concept mm -hmm. except the e the evil bad guy knew the true name of like the language of true names mm. so he could change the true names of anything wow. Like, cause he could control the whole language. So at the end of this treasure hunt, you could find that. Like, this is the the ultimate word. This word lets you figure out all other true names of everything, and you become omnipotent. That's pretty rad. Can we go back for one sec? 
I'm still struggling. What was the book? Like the amulet and the book. What was? What did the book do? <laughs> in, in sneak attack. You need to know. Spoiler alert. Uh-huh. Maybe I need to know. The book. Uh, I think it, it was more of a. They 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 were more symbols. Um, I know Reed had actual like intentions behind each of them. I I don't know if if we, he mm-hmm. ever made them public or not. So I don't want to you know cut the legs out from under him. But the generally the idea was: Do you choose knowledge or do you choose power? Oh, so okay. we chose power, and uh, and and personally, uh, I kind of regretted it. <laughs> in 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 the future in the series there in our in our show there are multiple opportunities where you can choose power and knowledge, and I think I bend towards the knowledge now because I feel like mm-hmm. we will for, forever question, you know, what You'll if forever not know. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, and we we really I don't think we picked up necessarily that that was kind of the, the the back and forth was one gives us knowledge one gives us power but uh we learned a lesson it was a hard lesson to learn because it, it hit mm-hmm. it it changed the story very dramatically with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> with with great knowledge comes great knowledge <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as as jim carrey said in uh, batman and robin uh not if knowledge is power then a god am i Well, we hope that you have enjoyed this discussion on treasure maps, on the journey through a campaign with a treasure map, and of course, uh, talking a little bit about what could the treasure be at the end. Josh, thank you so much for coming back on to the DMB. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Where can the listeners, if they want to, find more of you? Sure. Um, And first of all, it's an absolute pleasure being on. I love what you guys are doing. I love sending people to your show when they're looking for DM advice. If, if you wanna, if you wanna learn more about what I'm doing, you can find me on Twitter at Joshua the Hippie, and if you if you wanna find me on Twitch, you can find me at Joshua the Hippie. So those are my that's for better or worse, that's what I decided to call myself on the internet. And <laughs> we'll see. I'm, I'm probably gonna change it sometime in the next year, but that's what <laughs> I that high school Josh mandated that I was a hippie, even though I'm not a hippie at all. I'm pro establishment. I like. <laughs> chains and <laughs> you love the man what if high school josh comes back to get uh, you? if high school josh i've got a, i've got about uh 60 pounds on high school josh so i think, uh, <laughs> I, think I think i could take him out easy i think i one hit i go one hit punch that sucker <laughs> oh gosh but wouldn't that would just be hurting you in the future oh well anyway <laughs> Yes, you can find Josh there. Also, make sure to listen to Sneak Attack yes. if you haven't already listened to Sneak Attack. Sneak Attack's awesome. And go check out his Twitch. You do primarily painting minis, but I do believe that you do some gaming on there as well, yes? We, we like to play around with old game books. That's kind of a fun thing for us to do. And I, yes. I'll occasionally play a game or two on there. But yeah, we, I recently recorded <laughs> a game Getting Over It. Have you guys played this game at all? No. No. It's terrible. It's god awful. It's one of the worst <laughs> games I've ever played. Are you over it? Uh, emotionally, no. No. Uh, it's so we should go and play it. Is basically what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or go watch. Go watch me struggle in the video section of my Twitch stream and decide Fantastic. for yourself whether it's worth the suffering. And I'll also plug in here that if you haven't already, you can also hear Josh on the GM Showcase, where actually me and Josh got to play. Two Orc Brothers, yes. Tang and Fang. It was a great time. And you can go and listen to season one of Geek Wars. Him and his wife, Kelsey, play as contestants. 
we won't reveal how they do, uh, but they may make it to the end and they may not. <laughs> Go enjoy both of those. Mitch, thanks so much, man. I absolutely love doing stuff with you guys, and I love what you're doing. Thanks again, Josh. And with that, let's head to the mailbag of holding. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That Dolly. right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Welcome back to another mailbag of holding, the place where we talk about ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener. This week, we are looking at an email from DM Savage. DM Savage wrote in to us at the Dungeon Master's Block, and one of the things that he asked about was, how much dice rolling do you let your players do? I know it will vary between DMs, but when I do get back to DMing, I want my players to only roll dice during fights and maybe scenarios like chase scenes. All the rest would be behind the scene as I would have a copy of their stats. I know this would be a lot of extra work for me as the DM, but I think it would allow for better role-playing and preventing scenarios such as I intimidate him, I rolled an 18, make him tell me what I want to know. This is a good question. We've actually had this question posed to us a couple times uh, over the years. And so for me as DM, I let my players do 98% of the rolling. There are a few types of skills that I roll behind the screen for, and that usually comes down to insight checks when you're trying to figure out if a character is shady or something along those lines, or if they are lying. Normally, it's roles that might affect the game in a metagaming sense for the players if they see, oh, I rolled a two or I rolled a 19. And so they can kind of guess what the truth is behind the information that you as a DM give out. But in general, I think most players are going to want to roll their own dice. In fact, that word of their own is, I think, a very important thing. If players have bought their own dice and they're not allowed to use them, I could see some players being a little bit upset with that. I know personally as a player, which I don't get to be that often, I like to roll my own dice. I like to be in charge of my fate. As a DM, if you are rolling player dice behind the screen, because that is how some DMs do DM, although I don't think it's that very many anymore, one thing I would say is that you have to assure your players And not just assure them, but also keep to this. Promise yourself that you will not break this. Don't fudge their dice. If you are okay as a DM with fudging some monster rolls and things like that, we've talked about that on the show before, that's okay to a degree. But do not fudge players' dice if you're going to roll them for them. It's not fair. Anyway, that's a great question, DM Savage. We hope that that helped you and any other listeners who are maybe thinking about doing something along these lines. So thanks so much, DM Savage, for writing in. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We had a lot of fun talking about treasure maps and the things we like about them, the treasure at the end, all the middle parts. You guys were here. You heard (laughs) If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you like what we're doing, you like what you're hearing, uh, we'd love it if you guys would give us a five-star iTunes review. 
We'll read it on air just like you heard the beginning of this episode. It'll be really cool. You'll be famous. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can also like our Facebook page. Both of those places are great places to go for updates about the show. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this shout out goes to James Eck. Thank you so much, James Eck. James is a silver dragon. We very much appreciate the support of our show and of the Block Party Podcast Network. The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like The GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. Well, that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the people at the table. Godspeed, Pilgrim. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.